Dementia in Practice is recorded and produced in multiple locations. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we meet. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples, their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia. Hi, it's Hilton Copy with you and thanks for coming back to Dementia in Practice. This will be a two-part episode looking at what we can do to help people who are living with dementia. In this first part, we're going to talk about the initial steps that a GP can use when caring for a person living with dementia and also how they can support the person's family and carers. With me in each and every episode of my colleagues from Dementia Training Australia, Dr. Marita Long and Dr. Steph Daly. Marita, if I can turn to you first, I know you've had experience in caring for many people with dementia. What have been some of the things that you have found to be particularly helpful? Look, I think the thing that's most helpful is to actually realise that there's loads that we can do to help people living with dementia and support them better. I think in times gone by, it was felt that, you know, what's the point of diagnosing someone because there's nothing we can offer them. There is no treatment or there's no curative treatment. But I think now we've got such a better understanding of the um, disease process and how it impacts on people and their carers. So having something to offer the patient is what's been really helpful in you know in this process of, of learning more about dementia. And Steph, when you introduce some of the strategies that have been proven to be helpful for people living with dementia, what difference do you find that that makes? So I've really found it um, interesting that when you deliver the diagnosis to people living with dementia and offer them some of the things that might be helpful, they really have the opportunity to make changes that can be helpful for them. I think we spoke to Anne in the first episode and she mentioned a lot of things that she had done to um, change the way that she lived her life, but actually for the better so that she had a much better quality of life than she otherwise might have had if she hadn't made those changes. So she made reference to, um, she was able to plan where she was going to live. She um, learned some new skills so that she was able to still do some of her sewing and, and knitting, but in perhaps a different way. And that really, really shows how how our intervention can help people have a better quality of life when they get that diagnosis. So part of the uh, initial steps that we use in caring for people living with dementia is actually telling them that they have the diagnosis of dementia. Let's have a listen now as we hear one of our colleagues, Dr. George, who sounds eerily similar to me, as he explains the diagnosis of dementia to one of his patients, Anna, and her daughter, Sophie. So Anna, I've had a good look at all of your results and I'm pleased to say the blood tests are all completely normal and the brain scan showed no sign of a brain tumour. Okay, great. But what that means is that the likely diagnosis for the cause of the changes that have occurred for you over the last six to 12 months is a form of dementia. So like... Um that's like Alzheimer's. Like Alzheimer's. And is there medications that she can take or is there uh, any sort of treatment? There are some medications that are available. They can slow the progress of a dementia in the early stages. Okay. 
They are not a cure. They help a person to maintain their level of functioning for a longer period of time. And that's really the goal now yeah. is to help you maintain your current level of functioning right. as long as possible. Right. Like in a way, despite the uh, hardness of this diagnosis today, it can be like a gift because the time you have now is very precious time. Yeah. So, Marita, Dr. George spoke there about the diagnosis of dementia being like a gift. Have you ever found that in your experience with your patients, that telling them that they've got a diagnosis of dementia is like a gift? Yeah, I think... I think it's all in how you know present you present it. So it's often really hard. Well, it is always hard in general practice, isn't it? Giving a a um, serious diagnosis to a patient, it's often a little bit easier if there's a very very clear pathway or trajectory. For example, if someone has a breast cancer, you know there's there's a very clear pathway. You'll go to the surgeon, you'll have surgery, you'll have chemotherapy, you'll have radiotherapy. You know there's a, there's a path you can offer people straight away. And I think that's what's been hard with for people to give that diagnosis because they don't feel like there's that pathway. But once you have in your mind what you can offer your patient, and exactly as George said to Anne, it is a gift because the time you have now is precious and we can help you make that time, you know, the best time that you can you can achieve. And we'll speak a little more during this in the following episode about that pathway, because there definitely are clear steps on that pathway. But Steph, you mentioned your earlier interview with Anne, who had Lewy body dementia, that she was relieved at getting a diagnosis because it did help her to, to know where to go next in her life or what steps to take next in her life. But that's not always the case. What have been some of the challenges that you've encountered, Steph, when giving a diagnosis of dementia? Well, there's always some challenge in giving the diagnosis. I think the most important thing is to, what I try to remember is to always use the word dementia and be quite clear about what you're saying. But some people, for whatever reason, might not want to know their diagnosis. Now, it's important at the beginning of your consultation, if that is what you're about to speak about, that you find out where that person is at and, and how they feel about it. Because it is that person's right if they don't wish to know the diagnosis to, that you need to respect that. However, it's always important. And I try to explain to the person that having the diagnosis and at least having their family know the diagnosis is invaluable really so that we can really maximize support for that person. And then sometimes you have the case where people as part of their dementia um, symptoms may have what we call lack of awareness about, about the fact that there's anything particularly wrong with them. And so in that case, I think it's still important to share the diagnosis with the person uh, who has that, who is living with dementia, because even though they may have that lack of awareness, saying it out loud and being honest and upfront and having an open conversation is is really important for both the carer and the person that you're talking to and it comes back to that thing of maintaining the person's dignity because that's what consulting is all about you need to put the person who's in front of you at the center of their care and always maintain their dignity 
And we'll come back to the theme of dignity as we talk through some of the uh, steps that we can do to help people. Uh, but I, I was reminded when you were talking, Steph, about uh, I, sometimes I kind of cheat when I'm about to offer a diagnosis to one of my patients. And before I tell them what I think the diagnosis is, I ask them what they think might be going on. Because if, for example, like someone like Anna, who we heard the clip earlier, if she said, oh, I I think I might have dementia or I'm worried that I might have dementia. It makes it so much easier. So uh, that's kind of a little trick that I've learned over the way. Find out where their thinking is. And, and that's very much what you were saying, Steph, about keeping the person central to the process. You mentioned dignity be important when we're helping to care for people living with dementia. Marita, we spoke in one of our earlier episodes about the stages of dementia. I wonder if you could run over those again uh, with and, and just remind us about what the goals of care are for people in each of those three stages. Yeah, sure. So just brief outline, we, we use a system in our teachings of stage one, two and three of dementia, keeping in mind that there's no sort of stage one today and stage two tomorrow, like you might see with um, chronic kidney disease or, or a cancer sort of staging system. It's very much more nuanced in, in dementia. But it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a guide that we can follow. So when we're looking at stage one, which is probably the optimal time to make a diagnosis, a person living with dementia will usually still be at home. So they'll still have some level of independence, just like we saw with Anne in episode one. There's some supports put in place, but they're able to function quite well at home. And so our goal of care in stage one is really to provide dignity through maintaining and optimising that level of independence and enjoyment in life. So in stage two, we tend to see that there's an escalating level of care needs. So we might start to see someone living with dementia, perhaps wandering or becoming more agitated or more withdrawn. So we're seeing some changes that could, could potentially put them at risk of being at home on their own. So our goal of care there becomes um, providing dignity really through keeping the patient safe. And this can be a really hard one for people living with dementia and um, carers to come to terms with because there's that beginning you're beginning to see that loss of independence which is incredibly scary and and a lot of people will start to sort of arc, arc up potentially at, at safety measures being put in place and we've got to keep in mind you know if someone's forgetting to turn the stove off you know that that could be very dangerous to the person and and other people so you're sort of working on this fine balance of of maintaining their dignity but also remembering that safety becomes really important and then as we move on to stage three, we're starting to see that diminishing quality of life for the person living with dementia. Their cognition and function is really declined. A lot of their um, mobility has, has been lost. They're, they might now be incontinent. And this is often where we see people in a residential aged care facility setting. And so really our goal of care there is to main the pa maintain the patient's dignity really through providing comfort care and avoiding unnecessary transfers to hospital and avoiding unnecessary interventions that could cause harm, really focus on um, providing comfort care at this level. 
Thanks, Marita. That's a great overview. And certainly I find it helpful to keep that uh, framework in mind when I'm working with people who are living with dementia. Let's imagine uh, the patient, Anna, who we heard in the clip. If we were Anna's GP, what kind of things might we do to help Anna and Sophie as Anna's in stage one, sort of relatively early dementia? Now, Steph, I know most people think about dementia in terms of uh, memory or loss of cognition. So perhaps we can start with that domain, the domain of cognition. What kind of strategies might a GP use to assist a person's cognition in the early stages of dementia? Well, I think if we just reflect back to that clip, Anna and her daughter, Sophie, their first question was, are there any medications? Is there anything medically that can be done and so probably that's going to be first in most people's mind um, and one of the things that we do have access to is are a few medications and so it might be appropriate to talk to the the person in their family about those options and I and I can say from my own experience what I tend to say to people is there are medications available um, they're, they're not proven um, to have a massive effect. They might have, they might have some improvement in about 30 to 50% of people and they work to maybe slow the progression of the disease. And sometimes people describe that they might improve concentration, but they're not something that's going to give you back your memories. Um, so that's the sort of setting in which I explain the medications to people. So, Steph, there are a couple of uh, specific medications that can be helpful to help people in the earlier stages of dementia. Can you just run through them briefly for us? Yeah, the one we probably come across the most as general practitioners is Dinepazil or Aricept. Um, and we're likely to be continuing on the prescription when it's been initiated by a specialist. But it is possible to commence it yourself if you've had a conversation with a specialist um, about the diagnosis. So just being aware of some of the um, absolute contraindications and relative contraindications before you prescribe. And really, I say to people, you know, we start slowly, as with any medication, there may be side effects in the first two weeks, and we'll review you after a couple of weeks to see how you're going. And I warn them about the most common side effects, um, so that they're aware what, what to expect, really, and then keep a close eye on them and review them regularly, as you would when you start anything else. And then there are other anticholinesterase inhibitors that are also available, but they tend to be reserved for people who may be intolerant of, of denepazil, because that's the first line treatment. And are there other classes of drugs that can be helpful? Sometimes specialists may also use a drug called memantine, which is an MNDA receptor antagonist. Now, this is also used in people who have an absolute contraindication to Aricept and also sometimes used for people who might be in stage two or stage three of the disease. And so they may need additional medications. So sometimes it's added as an adjunct to, to Aricept. So you might see it prescribed alongside. But when you're using it together with Aricept, it has to be prescribed privately. So the cost does increase. So as GPs, we can initiate in conjunction with a specialist the anticholinesterase inhibitors. And that's something that we might do for a patient like Anna in stage one dementia. So Marita, uh, you mentioned as you went through the stages 
that sometimes uh, removing medications can be helpful. Are there certain medications that you'd be looking at when you're caring for a person in stage one dementia that you might be looking to rationalise or, or remove from their medication list? Yeah, so I think it's really uh, interesting, isn't it, that we always are looking to what we can add in and what we can provide as a treatment. And sometimes we do forget to look at the medications that might be impacting on someone's cognition. Um, Often that's been done a little bit in the workup of getting the diagnosis when we're trying to see if there is anything that could be impacting on someone's cognition and removing that before we make a diagnosis. But after the diagnosis is there, I think it's always a really opportune time to do a medication review, particularly for the patients who have got multiple comorbidities and on you know a raft of, of medications. And it's usually the medications that um, you know have a sedative effect or have a cholinergic load. And I guess in my practice, probably the common thing I would see is a lot of patients who are on um, you know temazepam uh, to help them sleep at night. Sometimes it's really useful just to remove some of those and see how the patients go. But in the show notes, we'll have a really good list of um, the common drugs that can impact on a patient's um, you know, cholinergic load and ones that you can consider, can you remove, have a trial without them um, to see if, if you get any improvement. But I think it's a really important point to remember to look at, always look at a patient's medications and see what we can get rid of. Back in the UK, we also had this really great tool, which we'll add into the show notes, which is called the Stop Start tool. And for it's specifically for people over the age of 65. And it will give you a list of red and green medications. So red, the ones you should be stopping and green, the ones you should be starting. So it's really if you if you get stuck and it's for all medications and not just for people living with dementia, but any medications in, in the over 65. So I find that a really helpful tool as well, because it can be difficult to work out which medications you should be thinking of stopping and starting. So the stop-start tool certainly is very helpful. The other thing I find helpful is doing a formal medication review with a pharmacist. And uh, I, th I think part of the idea that we're trying to get across here is that as the GP, we don't have to do everything all by ourselves in instituting care, that there are many other health professionals that can assist in the process of caring for people living with dementia. And I think the real take-home message here really is that medication, uh, whilst it's there, it's a really small part of how we care for people living with dementia. And that's what I say to people, Marita, is actually the evidence when I did my course back in the UK, the evidence was that some of the other things that we institute for this stage one in terms of cognition, in terms of social engagement, getting people in, engaged in activities, talking to other people, having conversations, those have as much um effect as the medications do. So it's really important to emphasize that because all of that doesn't require anyone to have any side effects from medication. It's it's all good stuff, you know, it's getting people engaged in their community, engaged with their family and and again focusing on that person and what they're interested in. Yeah, and that's a really a key point and I'm just going to share a story here about my dear old dad actually because one of the things dad liked doing most was going out for to restaurants he just loved that and we loved it because he'd always pay mind you but interesting when he developed dementia we'd take him out to a Chinese restaurant because he loved Chinese food and he'd sit there just looking really uncomfortable and I'd say dad what's wrong and he'd say I don't really like Chinese food 
And I'd be like, Dad, it's your favourite. And he was like, no, I don't like it. And we came to see that actually being in a busy restaurant was really um, uncomfortable for Dad. He did That was what the problem was. It wasn't the food at all. It was just the, the environment. And so I guess it's important to keep that in mind when we're talking to people. Things that patients have been interested in and have enjoyed, they might change for various reasons. So it's coming back and looking at what's working for the person living with dementia as they sort of progress through the disease. Mm, and it's okay if somebody doesn't want to engage in you know, going out with a big group of people because actually that sensory, I was talking about this with a patient yesterday about in relation to autism actually, but we forget how overwhelming um, different environments can be. You know, you walk into the supermarket, there's music blaring, there's the beep from the tills, there's, you know, hustle and bustle. And, and just that sensory overload is also really difficult when you're, when your focus is affected, when your concentration is affected. So I think it's, that's the whole thing about asking the person what they would like to do. Yeah. Um, and if it's just one-to-one contact, then that's fine. It doesn't have to be group stuff. It doesn't have to be, you know, going to a cafe that can be really overwhelming. It, it can be just individualised is the is the thing, I think. Yeah. Steph, you mentioned sensory overload. And I guess one of the things as GPs we can do is help to optimise people's sensory functioning. So can you talk a little bit about what we might do to help people with regard to, say, vision and hearing? Is that something that you would think about when someone's diagnosed with dementia? Yes, yeah, so I, I always talk about how we need to optimise the brain. And I guess this comes back to our preventative stuff as well. We're talking about optimization of the brain, keeping your brain healthy. And in order to have good cognition, you need to have all of your senses working at their optimum as well. So I always say to people, you know, now's the time to go and get another hearing test, make sure your hearing is is good. And if you need hearing aids or aids, then now's the time to get them. Make sure your vision is good because that helps you, you know, prevents falls, make sure you get good fit fitting footwear. Um, and so you want, you want the, you want to look at it in a holistic way and think about all the things that you can do to help this person optimize what's going on in their brain. So things like managing their blood pressure, um, making sure that we're paying attention to their other cardiovascular risk factors, all of these things, what we will have been doing for this person for many years before, we need to do even more at this stage. So it sounds like it's a, almost like it's a continuum from uh, prevention into management or treatment yeah. And these are things that uh, GPs would feel very comfortable with. Marita, I know also as GPs, one of the things that we often recommend for people is exercise for a whole range of different conditions. What about for someone like Anna who's been diagnosed with dementia? What role might exercise play for her? Yeah, well, again, physical activity is one of the important things for not only getting someone out and about and staying active if they've got dementia, but also for all those other things that Steph mentioned. So keeping your cardiovascular risk factors under control, keeping you know your diabetes as well controlled as possible and... Um, Social interaction. Exactly, Steph. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, it might be that that's a way that you can socially interact still. So having someone come and go for a walk, 
you know, with you. And, and for people who live in, you know, those communities where they're very established, going down, you know, to the milk bar to, to see the guy in the milk bar every day, going to the bank to see the, the person at the bank or the post office, you know, that's where a lot of elderly people anyway get a lot of their social interaction from. And so we want to encourage that. And I guess part of that is making sure that the person, you know, is also safe to keep doing those things. Yeah, I was uh, reading an article in the newspaper the other day about with us all in lockdown, the loss that that person's felt from those casual but not inconsequential conversations with people who sometimes he doesn't even know the name of the people, but yet they're very valuable conversations. So uh, I guess for people who are living with dementia, that, that social isolation that may transpire when they lose confidence, if we can help encourage them to maintain that, it'll be helpful for them. Nutrition's important also, and part of nutrition is good dentition. So Steph, do you do anything about that when you're caring for people living with dementia? I think this is one of the good proactive things you can do actually. So if you can make sure that people have had a recent dental checkup in the early stages of of dementia, then that will help later on because it can be you know, I've got a friend who's a dentist and she said she really, really struggles with people who are living in residential aged care facilities to, to manage their dentition then because often it's, it's you know, they may not have had their teeth brushed or they may not have had any good dental care previously. And so pain can be a real problem then. So if you are proactive and make sure that everything's kind of okay in this earlier stage, then you're going to prevent problems later down the line. And I think that's a that's a good proactive thing that you can suggest. We spoke earlier about the importance of family and carers. Marita, what sort of things might you be suggesting for the family and carers of someone during the early stages of dementia? What can be helpful for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. And a really, you know, important role in the process as well. So for me, I think um, spending the time with families early on and educating them about what dementia is and getting across that message again that this is more than memory. I see a lot of families come in who are getting incredibly frustrated with the person living with dementia. And that might be because they're not attending to, you know, cleaning the kitchen as well as they might have, or they're not you know, in fresh clothes every day and and they'll sort of go back and keep telling them, you know, you need to wipe down the bench or you need to put these clothes on and tomorrow you need to put these clothes on and, and they'll come saying, you know, they just don't listen to me. It's getting really frustrating. They're almost being difficult, you know, and that's not someone being difficult. That's someone who's had a change in their ability to, to understand things and, and to function the way they used to. So my big thing is really educating the families about what the disease process is, how it's going to affect or potentially affect their mum or dad or partner and how that might progress. So they've kind of got the heads up. It's what we refer to as providing some anticipatory guidance. And I think if you can do that over several consults, you can't do this all in one consult, of course, and keep those lines of communication open, then they've got a level of what they might expect next. And what I find is once people understand that, things become a lot less a lot less stressful. The really other important thing here is to remember that for the carer, it is incredibly stressful. And in order to have someone living with dementia as well as they can 
we need their carers to be as well as they can. And we do have evidence that that shows that that does delay uh, transitioning the person into a residential aged care facility if the carer puts in some care for themselves early on. Why don't we have a listen again to Dr George as he speaks with Anna and Sophie about what might happen for Anna as her dementia progresses. What is going to happen to me? It's one of those things, Anna, that it's very hard for me to give you a definite answer about what's going to happen. But what I can do is tell you about what's likely to happen. Right. Or what might happen. Yeah. As I've said to you before, everyone's experience with dementia is different. different. But what I can tell you from my experience, people with dementia like yourself progressively deteriorate. Yes. A lot of people think about dementia being something to do with the memory, and it certainly is something to do with memory. People with dementia have difficulty remembering newer things. But it's bigger than that. It's like if you can imagine the the brain deteriorating in all its functioning, right. not just the memory. Yes. So like you've noticed already, the difficulty with the... Uh, doing complex tasks that were easy for you, like yes. the banking. Yeah. Sometimes people have trouble with their phones or the remote for the television, the cooking. Yeah. So where they were able to manage those functions, that yeah. may deteriorate as time goes on. Right. And it's likely that will deteriorate. As a dementia progresses, then there can also be changes in people's behaviour. Uh, what, what's in what way? Sometimes some people who are quite placid may become aggressive at times. And uh, because there's not the clear understanding, they're, they're not able to grasp what's happening for them at that time, they may respond with some aggression or anger. So, for example, if someone's to the situation where they're not able to do their own bathing or showering and someone needs to come in to help with that, if a person with dementia doesn't have the ability to fully understand what's going on, they may respond to someone bathing them or showering them with anger and aggression. Yeah, Mm. I can do it. You can do it now, definitely. Definitely. There will probably come a time where you won't be able to do that. So, Steph, clearly uh, educating the person living with dementia and their family and carers about what to expect is a very important part of the role that a GP can do to help. Who else might be able to assist the GP, share the load a little bit in terms of helping people learn a bit more about dementia? Well, there are some great resources out there. I think the most approachable or easy to navigate one might be Dementia Australia. They have resources that you can either signpost people to or you can print off yourself. So patient information leaflets about what is dementia, what it, what does it mean to have a diagnosis? And they also nicely have um, different sections on medications and what carers might need to look for. And they do do some courses as well and also offer some telehealth support 
And in some locations, they may even come to your home and offer some support there. But they have lots and lots of advisors who can help people who might be having issues or or just want more information, really. They have a free helpline as well, I think you can ring. You might find in your local area that there are other support agencies. So particularly where I live, we have a, I'm sure it's across across Australia, really, we have lots of different multicultural groups. um, And there will often be a community group. um, For example, we have a community group for the uh, Croatian communities, um, and they actually have their own carers who, who will speak Croatian. We have a big Italian population, and the same thing. So there are some social groups that you can go to where people will speak Italian as well. So having a, and and the local library as well as the local council will also advertise things like dementia cafes, men's sheds, and things like that. You have to have to go out and source that information, but finding out what you've got to support you locally and offer that to the person and their family is also really helpful. Marita, do you want to chip in with something there? Yeah, so I often find it really helpful to set an appointment aside to help the families and the person with dementia navigate the good old My Age Care system because I think getting that done, uh, you know, as close to the time of diagnosis if they haven't, already been plugged in with My Age Care is really important to try and look at those services that we can get in to bolster um, the living arrangements and to support the person in their home for as long as possible. And actually, one of the the good thing here is that you can actually involve your practice nurses in doing that. So if you train your practice nurses how My Age Care works and how to help the person um, log on to that, and then then you're not necessarily having to do the work, but you can you can get someone else to help you within your practice, and and that helps everyone in the practice become more aware of all these support services and things that people can access. In our region, the aged care service has like uh, a day care centre for people with dementia and that serves uh, multiple functions. Uh, It offers education, it offers social engagement, it offers some physical exercise for all the people living with dementia and also it allows the family and carers to have a day off. The, uh, The people with dementia are picked up by a bus and taken for the day and fed and dropped back and and it gives a, a day for the family and carers to have some time for themselves or to do other things. So just to have that break is so important as well. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Because often uh, a lot of the people who are doing that work don't even realise that they're carrying such a burden of care. They just feel like it's, oh, it's just what I do. And when you actually point out that you're actually, you know, doing a a very highly skilled and demanding job and yeah you do deserve some time off they kind of go oh yeah right yeah and then you know the benefits are just so great so we've talked about a lot of things today that can be done to help people living with dementia during the early stages in the show notes there's a summary of this in what we call a gp management plan that outlines all the specific steps that can be done to help a person in terms of their cognition their functioning their psychological well-being their behaviors and their and their physical health so uh, if you want to delve into that a little bit more have a look at the show notes section There's so much to cover in the things that can be done to help people living with dementia. So we're going to have another episode looking at perhaps the strategies that might be helpful as someone progresses through a dementia. 
Steph, what are we going to cover off in the in the next episode? I guess I'm interested to talk a little bit more about the dignity of risk and, and safety issues. I think that's also something that, that we as GPs are always worrying about and, and perhaps carers and family members might well be as well. Um, so hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that. And it certainly is the almost the second question that 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 people who've had a recent diagnosis have is, can I stay at home? I don't want to go into a residential aged care facility. And so I think it will be interesting to talk about how that might be possible and what happens when it isn't possible and, and how having those difficult conversations with people earlier on in, in their diagnosis can help with with any transitions or changes that may happen later on. So we do talk about that's one of the advantages of a timely or earlier diagnosis is to allow those conversations to take place. Marita, one of the things that uh, is is really important early on in the conversations is around advanced care planning. What role do you see that that plays for someone who's living with dementia? Yeah, I think it's um, really hard to care for someone with dementia if you don't know what their wishes are. So I think being able to put that time in and the family to to spend time thinking about, you know, how they'd like to see the care, um, the care plan out. And I think that issue of, you know, not wanting to go into a nursing home is just so um, strong. And, and what I've seen play out so many times is no one wants to really mention the elephant in the room that nursing home is probably going to be needed down the track. And so again, in that advanced care planning, that's a time where you can really raise the issue and say, perhaps it is a good time now to go and have a look at some facilities so that if the time, if and when that time comes, you've had some input into where you might like to live when when that stage is reached, rather than having the scenario of someone falling at home, breaking their hip, ending up in hospital, and then sort of having to be put into a nursing home that perhaps wasn't wasn't the ideal place for them. So I think that advanced care planning can sort of raise a whole lot of um, issues that, that are worth getting out as early as you can. So it comes back to your favourite term, anticipatory guidance. And we'll speak more about that in the next episode as we guide Anna and Sophie on her journey with dementia. So if you're eager to get straight into it, Part two is available in your feed right now. And if you want more resources, head to our website, dta.com.au, or follow Dementia Training Australia on Facebook or at DementiaTrainAU on Twitter. Thanks for joining us and see you next time. If you're a person living with dementia, or if you're a family member or a carer of someone living with dementia, Dementia Australia has some great resources. The National Dementia Helpline is 1800 100 500 or you can visit dementia.org.au. Dementia in Practice is an initiative of Dementia Training Australia which is funded by the Australian Government.